Well, I was up early this morning at 5, and I took Graham to the airport about 5.30, so I feel like I've been here about a day and a half. <laughs> and it was really lonely for a really long time, so I'm glad you showed up. Thanks for being here. And uh, Rick, is your mom, is she watching on, online, do you know? Okay. Well, do you, just to, if you are, I want you to know that I miss you, because I usually look out there every Sunday and see your sweet smiling face, and it encourages me to continue on. So we're glad you're doing well and continuing to pray for you, Miss Courtney. But how many of you like New Year's resolutions? Anybody still do that? Okay, it's a few people, not a ton. Um, some people feel like they're too rigid, right? There's just no room for uh, wiggle room. So they like, to, they like to set goals or try to hit some targets. That way you at least get some credit for making progress, right? Uh, resolutions are more like a pass-fail grade. And so they can often kind of feel like they're more disheartening than helpful at times. Personally, I like to look at this time of year as a chance to recalibrate my life. It's like when you drive... Uh, your car and you're using GPS to get to your desired destination, right? You put in your location, it charts a course, and as long as you follow that course, you're in good shape. But if you take a wrong turn, it's going to recalibrate to help get you back on track. Well, that's exactly what I need in my life. Uh, I need to know that I'm headed in the right direction because the fact of the matter is my destination hasn't changed. I still and always will want to be conformed into the image of Christ. I want to live a life that's worthy of the Lord, and that hasn't changed at all. But just like when I'm driving, I make wrong turns from time to time. And so I need to get back on track. Usually when I make wrong turns, it's because I'm ignoring the GPS. (laughs) I'm trying to take care of things on my own, going to where I think I need to be. Maybe that's because I'm a man. Maybe it's just because I'm a sinner. I don't know. But the fact of the matter is, um, I make wrong turns. And when I do, I only make things worse. And I need to realize that it's more important to trust God way more than I would ever trust myself. And so I need to recalibrate my life to get back on course to being conformed into the image of Christ. We know that that was a very high priority for the Apostle Paul. We also know that he took some wrong turns in life until Jesus literally stood in his way. And that encounter with Christ is what transformed his life and put him on an altogether different path. It recalibrated his course toward a passionate pursuit of knowing Christ more. And my prayer for all of us is that as we encounter Christ, that the same would be true for us, so that no matter where we've been, we know that that Jesus recalibrates our course to know him more, returning to that path of being conformed into the image of Christ. And so I hope that our passage this morning will do that for all of us. I know just in preparation, it has done a lot for me, and I hope that it'd be the same for you. Before we look at that together, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we open up your word, we want to open up our hearts, our minds, our ears. We want to ask that you, by the power of your spirit, speak directly into our lives. Take the truths of these words and allow them to penetrate 
into the deepest parts of who we are. You would prompt us in areas that you want to course correct, places that we need to be redirected so that we can continue in that path of being conformed into your image, to grow in our understanding and knowledge and ultimately our love for you because of your great love for us. And so, Lord, miraculously, would you do that this morning through the truth of your word? That would be our prayer. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you would turn to Philippians chapter 3. One of my favorite chapters in the Bible, some of my favorite verses that we'll look at this morning. So Philippians chapter 3, and I'd love for you to read along with me if you would like. Um, Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. Paul says, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. Now, most of you are familiar with this passage, and you know that in the earlier verses, he kind of outlines his resume of of self-righteousness. You can look back at that in verse 4, see where he talks about his consecration through circumcision, having been set apart as God's chosen people, Israel. He also highlights his royal lineage from the tribe of Benjamin, having descended from Israel's first king, King Saul. Paul was in the upper echelon of the Jewish community, highly respected. I know that we don't look at it this way when we think about Pharisees, but at that time, Pharisees were highly respected people, and Paul was very prominent in that regard. It was a role that he zealously fulfilled by ultimately persecuting the church where he thought he was weeding out the religious imposters in order to purify the true people of God. Paul took pride in his faithful obedience to the law. and It was because of that that he felt like he was blameless before the Lord, having earned his righteousness as a reward for his zealous behavior. But then, as we see in verse 7, Paul, having looked back on that resume of all his accomplishments, says it's rubbish. He says, whatever was gained for me, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. In other words, the more he gained security from that lineage, or value from his success, or righteousness from his good deeds, or wisdom from his training. The more he gained from those accomplishments, the less he needed Jesus. And before we move on, I want you to consider your resume of self-righteousness. Maybe you came from a long legacy of faith. Maybe you grew up with the privilege of growing up in a Christian home. Maybe you knew about Jesus from a really young age, and you were baptized in the church. And maybe it was a solid church that preached the gospel faithfully. That's where you learned how to live the Christian life. Understanding vices to avoid, things that are obvious like don't do drugs or don't drink alcohol or don't uh, uh, watch illicit movies or music or those sorts of things. And things that you should do, right? The things that you should read your Bible from time to time. Uh, You should go to church as often as you could. Maintaining righteousness 
if you will, by living a respectable life. Maybe you were fortunate enough to have a good education and end up in a successful job. Maybe you make enough money to live a comfortable life, even giving to those in need when you have a little extra, especially this time of year. So much like Paul, that's, that's an impressive list of accomplishments. Well done. But would you count them as rubbish compared to knowing Christ? Would you be willing to lose them all if they led you away from Christ, in some way substituted your affections for them instead of him? Would you be willing to give them up? After all, we can also gain security from our finances. We can find value in our success. We can find righteousness from our good deeds and wisdom from our education. And like Paul, the more we gain from those accomplishments, the less we need Jesus. Whatever is gained for us is counted as loss for the sake of Christ. That's why Paul says it's the surpassing value of knowing Christ that puts all those other things into perspective to the point that he was willing to lose everything in order to gain one thing, to know and understand what it means to live in a life-transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. He would be willing to lose everything to gain that one thing. You see, being a disciple is not just an add-on to your life. It is your life. To be all in with Jesus means that Jesus is in all of your life, every nook and cranny. I have no idea what a cranny is. I'm not even sure what a nook is, but I know that it's in the deepest recesses of who you are. Everything reoriented to knowing and following Christ. Because the truth is, and I don't think we completely understand this most of the time, we can't have the best of both worlds. It's not possible, okay? It's not possible to find security in your finances and profess confidence in Jesus Christ. They are antithetical to one another, complete opposites of one another. It's not possible to find identity in your success and know your true value in the eyes of God. The two cannot coexist with each other. We can't find approval for our behavior and understand what it means to rely on the righteousness which comes from God. Whatever is gained for us is loss for the sake of Christ. We must be willing to abandon everything in order to gain one thing, to know and to follow Christ. Seeing our purpose, our identity, and our worth ultimately and completely fulfilled in Him. This is the surpassing value of knowing Christ that puts all those other things into perspective. Look at how he continues in verse 9. He goes on and says, And may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. So 
in this verse, I believe what Paul's doing here is beginning to unpack what it means to gain Christ, because that's a little bit of a difficult term to understand, right? What does it mean to gain Christ? Well, he's beginning to explain exactly what that entails, and he begins by saying that I may be found in him. The Bible has a lot to say about what that phrase means, and oftentimes when you look at Scripture, it's described as what it means to be in Christ, to be found in him, in Christ. And, and I did a quick survey of things that the Bible says about what it means to be in Christ, and I want you to just take these things in. It says that we have redemption in Christ Jesus, that we are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus, that we have eternal life. In Christ Jesus. We know the love of God in Christ Jesus, and we're sanctified in Christ Jesus. Since the grace of God was given to us in Christ Jesus, that's why we have triumph in Christ Jesus, that we are a new creation in Christ Jesus, that we're sons of God, sons and daughters of the King in Christ Jesus, that we are all one, we have unity in Christ Jesus. We have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus, ultimately complete in Christ Jesus. That's quite a list, isn't it? So to be found in Christ, if I could summarize it simply, it, it is to live without lack. When you are in Christ, you are one who is able to live without lack. This is the abundant life that we talked about recently, right? Where, where God pours into that cup, that cup of your soul until it is full, and then it overflows because he just keeps on pouring his blessing into your life. It's grace upon grace, whereas the Bible says you have everything you need for life and for godliness. You see, when you gain Christ, you have everything. You are not missing anything in life. You don't have to work to gain significance because your worth is determined by God. Your identity is not found in the approval of people, but in who Christ is in you. Not based on what you do, but because of what he has done for you. That's why Paul says, I don't have a righteousness of my own derived from the law. In other words, I don't gain acceptance from God based on my good behavior. Because if you're in Christ, when God looks at you, you know what he sees? He sees Jesus. That's how you can be holy and blameless in his sight because you are clothed in the righteousness of Christ, when God looks at you, he sees Jesus. But that being said, I want you to understand that, that, that righteousness is not the end goal. Does that surprise anybody? Righteousness is important, but righteousness is not the end goal. Instead, righteousness is a means by which we enter into a life-giving relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, that's the goal. Paul makes this point clear in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, when he says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, 
as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The righteousness of God is the means by which we are reconciled in our relationship with him. That's how that relationship that we were ultimately created for, from the very beginning, is completely and ultimately restored. In Christ, you are God's beloved son, his beloved daughter, in whom he is well-pleased. Which means that, now think about this, God delights in you to the very same magnitude with which he delights in his own son. God delights in you to the very same magnitude that he delights in his own son. We need to let that sink in. Because sometimes I think we wrongly assume that that we are the ones who are taking all the initiative, doing all the work. Jesus is just kind of waiting up for us to, to show up for a quiet time or just hoping that we reach out to him in prayer. But I just need you to know he's not waiting on anything that he delights in you. And moment by moment, he is pursuing you. There is never a time when you are not on his mind is there, and there is never a place that you can hide from his presence. As David Crowder sings, how great your affections are for me. He delights in you. The Bible says this over and over again, and we see it in that term that is applied to God's people. You are his beloved, right? Over and over again, you are his beloved. I love how that's captured in the words of Zephaniah. Listen to this closely and let this soak in. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saved you. Here it is. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Think about that. God sings love songs to you. He rejoices over you with singing. He's the lover of your soul and everything that you need in life. Let's look at verse 10 in our passage goes on and says that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death in order that I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So here again, we see it. The righteousness from God is so that we may know him. Righteousness is the means to a relationship. And this is not just some mental ascent where we know facts about him. This is an experiential knowledge through the through the understanding and experience of a relationship. And Paul begins with three experiences for how that intimacy and the relationship that we have with Christ is deepened, how it grows in intimacy. He says it's the power of the resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death. And I want us to understand that all three of those things are earthly realities. What I mean by that is that we're not waiting to die to experience any of these, including, for example, the power of his resurrection. 
When you are in Christ, you are living the resurrected life right now. It begins the moment you believe. When you are in Christ, you are a new creation, raised to walk in the newness of life. Old things have gone, and behold, new things have come. It's a resurrected life. We grow in the knowledge of Christ through through the transforming work of the Spirit opening our minds to the truths of Scripture that we could not see when we were blinded by sin, giving us an understanding of God's character and the life-changing truth of, of God's Word. As Romans 12, 1 and 2 tells us that we are transformed in our mind so that we may know that the good, the acceptable, the perfect will of God. And the more we grow in that knowledge, the deeper we grow in that love. We know him through a resurrected life that begins the moment you believe, but also through the fellowship of his sufferings. Now, most of you know I'm a pretty big Texas Tech fan, so I was really thrilled this week with the bowl game. I was really excited, all right? And what was really, I think, exciting was the fact that this was a team that kind of went through the grinder this year. They had a lot of turmoil, a lot of change. And boy, if you watched any of the post-game activities, you could tell that there was a deep sense of brotherhood among those players. Even among the players and coaches, and I, I feel like a lot of that is because having suffered together, they grew in intimacy with one another. They grew, grew close to one another. If you've ever watched the World War II series, Band of Brothers, right, you see these men who were literally in the trenches together, and the bond that they formed through that shared experience of suffering was unbreakable. I think the same is true in our relationship with Christ. When we also share in the fellowship of his suffering. For example, when people consider you to have evil motives when you are trying to do something good, then you know how Jesus felt. You share in his sufferings. When you face rejection because of your faithfulness of God, when you're doing the right thing and you can condemn by the society, then you know how Jesus felt. You're sharing in his suffering. And shared suffering is a powerful tool for building deep intimacy. Just think about a marriage. Think about the lifetime that you spend together and and the joys, but also the heartaches that you experience and the intimacy that you have because of that shared suffering. I believe this is actually one of those areas that we will see increasingly in our lifetime. More and more, we will be persecuted for upholding a biblical worldview, becoming an outcast in a culture of compromise where expressing our beliefs will be considered hate speech by many. We see that happening even today. But Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 5, for as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Because our, our, our comfort is more than just knowing that he understands Our comfort is knowing that he's actually with us, that he's present in the midst of our suffering. Jesus is with us in the trenches. 
Tim Keller says that suffering can refine us rather than destroy us because God himself walks with us in our pain. We grow in intimacy through a living the resurrected life, through the fellowship of his sufferings and being conformed into his death. And again, this is not some future reality. This is an earthly reality because Paul is not pointing to our physical death. He's pointing to the death of Jesus Christ or more specifically, the death that he suffered on the cross for our sins. And so as we think about that death, doesn't it make sense that we would grow in intimacy when we understand and appreciate the depth of that love displayed on the cross? Daily experiencing that gracious gift of forgiveness. As Ephesians tells us, his his grace that has been lavished upon us. To the point, as Paul writes, that I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Being conformed to his death is ultimately dying to the power of sin's control. And that that intimacy is that one flesh relationship that we have through faith in Jesus Christ. A love so deep that it compels us to give our life away. Living not for ourselves, but for the good of someone else. As Paul says in verse 11, in order that I may attain the resurrection of the dead. And that's not just to say, I'm done. To attain the resurrection of the dead means that I get to see face to face the one that I've given everything up for because he is my greatest affection. When our salvation is complete, that's when our faith becomes sight. When we instantly become everything God created us to be, living eternally in that relationship of love that we were ultimately created for. So, as we close, I want to give you some really practical, okay? We're going to get down to daily life, really practical ways that you might consider to recalibrate your pursuit of knowing and following Christ, to to growing in that intimacy that, that Paul talks about in our passage this morning. The first way is really simple, and it's this. Get out of your normal routine, okay? Change things up. Be creative. Do something different than what you have been accustomed to doing because by nature, we know that we're creatures of habit, right? And by habits, a lot of times, we can take things that are important and they, out of habit, just become mundane. It's just what we do. So try pursuing the Lord in some creative ways. Try opening your Bible before you pick up your phone. Try taking your prayer time to the streets. What I mean by that is get out in your neighborhood and just walk around. And as you do, pray. Pray for people that come to mind. Pray for your neighbors. Pray for opportunities to have a conversation. But take your prayer life to the streets. Do something different. Instead of reading your Bible, try listening. Listening to the Bible being read to you. 
There's some great apps out there, and sometimes it helps just to hear the Word of God and meditate on what it says as someone is reading that truth to you. If you're like me, instead of turning on sports talk when you're in the car, maybe turn on some worship music. Maybe even better than that, instead of listening to worship music, maybe just take your own prayers and turn them into worship songs. Right there as you drive from one place to another. Look, there's a thousand different things that that you can do, but the, the thing is, I want you to consider some fresh new ways that you can pursue the Lord that may look different than what you've been doing previously. Another way that you can deepen your love for God is to spend time as creation, okay? This is just an easy one. We know, as the psalmist says, let the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky proclaim his handiwork. Now, how many of you have seen a beautiful sunset or sunrise recently? Okay, that's one of the great things about living in West Texas. We see those all the time, right? So next time you see one of those, if you can do it, stop. Just pull over your car or just walk outside and just stare at it. And think about the one who created that. And then take it one step further Consider that maybe he created it just for you. Just for you to to see his delight in you. Experience God's love through the beauty of his creation. Another idea is to go on a media fast. We've done this in our family from time to time, and and it amazes me every time the impact it has over just a short period of time. So take a week. Okay, just a week, and eliminate all social media and national news. Okay, just completely abstain. And and I know some of you are beginning to panic, but I promise you can live without it, okay? One week, complete abstinence. And I think what you'll find is that you'll be surprised at the peace you discover in their absence. So go on a media fast. The last one is simple as well, and I found this to be really helpful in my life. Find a good Christian biography and read it. I can't tell you how many times I've read a good Christian biography and it has recalibrated my life in some magnificent ways because it takes me out of my circumstances and puts me into the life of someone else where I realize, oh, my life's really pretty good. And very often it gives me an understanding of what a true intimacy with Christ looks like. When I look at people like Diedrich Bonhoeffer or Jonathan Edwards or Charles Spurgeon, people who suffered great ways but had tremendous impact because they had such a deep and abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. So if you want to know a good Christian biography, just let me know. Send me an email or text message. I'd be glad to share those with you because I've got several on my shelf that have been such a blessing to me, and you're welcome to all of them. But pick up a good Christian biography. But the, the key to this is just trying to find new ways, new creative ways to deepen your intimacy with Christ, ways to recalibrate your course, to, to know him more, to kind of get back on that path of what it means to be conformed into the image of Christ. And this is a good time of year to do that. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. And boy, I listen and look and meditate and consider the words of Paul. And every time, every time, I tell myself, I want more of that.
I want to understand the surpassing value of knowing you, Jesus. I want to be willing to abandon everything in order to gain one thing. To know and to be known by you. So Lord, as we begin this new year, I just pray for all of us that we would consider fresh new ways to recalibrate our lives to grow deeper in our intimacy with Christ. Lord, would you guide us and direct us, help us to to rely on you so much more than we would ever rely on ourselves. Lord, we entrust this to you and we pray this in your name. Amen. Let's stand and sing. I have a special request. I had mentioned uh, just in our time this morning about following the Lord's lead. And so this next week, I do my annual study leave where I take a week of solitude and silence and go before the Lord asking Him to direct our path for what we will do over the next year in His Word. And so I would just covet your prayers and appreciate knowing that my church family is praying for me in that time. So if you would do that, I'd appreciate it. Let me pray for us and we'll close. Father, thank you for this beautiful family, the chance to gather together, to really appreciate the love that we have for one another, but ultimately because of the love that we have from you. And Lord, help us to begin this new year with a desire and a devotion to know you more, to consider that to be the all-surpassing value that puts everything else in its place, knowing that we want to know you more day by day. We pray this in your name. Amen.